Our message today is going to be over Acts chapter 22. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts near the end. We're going to look at a story today. Um, Kind of Paul recounting his story. And that's what I want us to think about today is... um, Let's think about our stories, and we've been talking about that for a few weeks now, how God shapes our story, haven't we? And um, up until now, we've been talking about kind of intrinsic ways that God shapes our stories by giving us inner qualities, gives us a personality. He gives us gifts, strengths, spiritual gifts. Last week, we talked about how God, one of the things that God does to shape our inner stories, he gives us natural inclinations towards certain things, certain activities, certain people to reach out to. Um, Today, we're going to start talking about the ways that God extrinsically shapes our story and where previous weeks, I think, can be kind of fun to think through. It's kind of fun to think through. How, how has God given me a personality? How has God given me gifts? Um, today has the potential of being a little less fun because sometimes uh, the, the experiences that we go through, and those are extrinsic ways that God shapes our story through our life experiences, sometimes are our experiences are difficult. They're painful, right? They can be very challenging and, and feel like trials. And um, and we believe that God leads us through these experiences. That's one of uh, that's what one of the uh, the questions of the Heidelberg Catechism tells us, is that God leads us through these different experiences. I'm going to read uh, question 27 from uh, the Catechism. God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. And so somehow we, we believe that, that God's hand is in all of our experiences in life, and they can be difficult and challenging. Some may ask, well then, since God leads us through not just triumph, but tragedy, does that mean that God has some mean streak in him? And the answer is no. God has a bigger picture for our life. So here's our main point uh, for today as we start looking at Paul's story, thinking about our story. Here's our main point. Through your life experiences, God shapes you for his purpose. God has a bigger purpose in mind for you, and he leads us through these different experiences, some like the triumph experiences and some the tragedy experiences. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, all things, not just some things, but that in all things, God works for the good of those who who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. And sometimes that that well-known Bible verse um, is used to say something like this. Don't worry, God will bring about good through whatever you 
just went through, that difficult experience. And I believe that's true. God will bring good through that difficult experience you just had. But it doesn't mean that God will make things go the way that you want it to. He will bring good, but he, but he might not make things go the way that you want them to. Even after a difficult experience, when we're hoping, God, please pick up the pieces of this, God says, I will. But sometimes the way that the pieces get put back together aren't exactly how we would want them to get put back together. What is God doing? Well, God has a bigger purpose for you. And he will work all things towards this, this purpose in your life. So this leads us to Paul. Paul, um, several times as we look through the book of Acts, we hear Paul telling a story about these life experiences that he had. And through these experiences, he became acutely aware of this, this purpose, this mission that God uh, had for Paul. So, This leads us to Acts chapter 22. What you need to know is that Paul here is defending himself from some accusations that he was teaching Jews to abandon Jewish law, that Paul was desecrating the temple, this holy place for the Jewish people. He was defending himself because a mob of Jews was trying to kill him at the moment. And what he does is he recounts these experiences in his life. So what I want to do is start reading, actually, at the very end of chapter 21, verse 40. And I'm going to read quite a bit, um, all the way through verse 21 of chapter 22. So here we go. So there's a, a commander of the Roman guards that is there trying to keep peace in the temple. After receiving, here's verse 40, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. And I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to put uh, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to to be punished. And about noon as I came from Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companion saw the light. But they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into all Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. This mission I'm giving for you, Paul. 
My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Now a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors, who has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth, now you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. Calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So that's quite a bit that we read. And I want you to think through, where did you hear different experiences, life experiences of Paul in that story? What did you hear? We heard some kind of historical stuff back to when he was converted to uh, become a believer in Jesus Christ. What did you hear? I want to just list a few things that I heard in Paul's story, these life experiences that God led him through in order to prepare Paul for this this very special mission um, that is in line with God's purpose for Paul. And what I want us to be doing, of course, is to take these these categories maybe of life experiences and then start thinking about our own experiences and how God has been kind of using these experiences to shape you and and me. So um, let me give a little back, background for uh, the scripture. Paul had been seen. What, what led to this scene? Um, Paul had been seen earlier, just earlier, with a, a Gentile man, a non-Jew, and they were roaming around Jerusalem earlier, and um, you know, Paul was at the scene in the inner court of the temple. And if you remember that the temple had different areas in it, and some areas were reserved only for Jews. The inner court was reserved only for Jews. The outer court was also known as the uh, court of the Gentiles, and non-Jews could be in that part, kind of the outer region of the temple, but not closer to the center of the temple. Gentiles were prohibited from moving into the inner court. There was a barrier there that acted to uh, keep the Gentiles out, but also the historians record how there were these signs that were posted in Greek and in Latin that warned Gentiles that moving into the inner court was prohibited for Gentiles, and the penalty 
if a Gentile were to cross that boundary, was death. It wasn't they were going to toss you out of the, the temple, reprimand you. It wasn't they were going to beat you or put you in prison. They are going to kill you. For a Gentile to be in the inner court of the temple was an offense punishable by death, by Jewish law, and that was upheld by Roman law, too. The Roman soldiers that were stationed in the temple there just to kind of keep the peace. And they would let the, the Jewish law win out in those cases. So Paul was seen with a Gentile just before this, roaming around Jerusalem. Now he's in the inner court of the temple, and there are some Jews there who are against Paul, thinking that he was a troublemaker for Judaism. And they accused him of bringing that Gentile into the inner inner courts. So Paul was defending himself there in front of the Jews. So the bottom line is that because of their prejudice, many Jews were suspicious of Paul reaching out to the Gentiles, right? There's this, this prejudice they had against non-Jews. We could make a sermon on that right there, prejudice against people that God loves. Let's talk about life experiences that Paul outlines in this this defense of his. Um, So he talks about his ministry to the Gentiles, and he shares how his life experiences have has given him like the perfect resume to be the one reaching out to the Gentiles. So let's go through a list of them. First of all, there are cultural experiences that I saw in Paul's defense of his ministry to the Gentiles. Cultural experiences. Cultural common experiences. And we we appreciate cultural experiences and how they build a bridge from one to another, right? Uh, kind of like when politicians from other states come to Texas to you know meet with potential voters. What do they do? They wear cowboy hats and boots, right? They're they're using kind of a cultural experience to to build a bridge. You, know, you don't wear burnt orange. If you're in College Station, if you want to build a bridge to people there, you don't wear maroon if you're in Austin, if you want to build a bridge to people there. Paul is well aware of the power of cultural experiences. He says, you know, to win the Jew, I've become like a Jew. To win those not under the law, I've become like one not under the law. To... Uh, to win the, uh, what does it say, the poor, the weak. I've become like the weak. And he talks about how he's, he tries to share some cultural experiences with these people that he's reaching out to. God gives us common cultural experiences with others so that he can build a bridge as well. Now, Paul, in his defense, he says, I am from Tarsus. Just previous to this chapter, Chapter 21, verse 39, it says that Tarsus was no ordinary city. Tarsus was was a very metropolitan city. It's a large city of great culture. And it's interesting how God used that cultural experience of Paul to help build bridges with the Gentiles. Because uh, Tarsus was a largely Greek-speaking city, uh, a lot of Greek culture there, Paul would be able to relate to kind of the Greco-Roman culture of Gentiles, of non-Jews. Paul's a Roman citizen as well, which provided this common ground experience uh, for his outreach to the the Gentiles. 
So there's cultural experiences that I see in Paul's test- testimony for himself. Uh, how about educational experiences? That's one of the things that I wrote down. Educational experiences. Paul talks about his educational experiences. He studied under Gamaliel, who was uh, probably the most prestigious rabbi for a Jew to study under uh, during Paul's day. One thing Paul does is he's building a bridge to this Jewish audience that wants to kill him for, they think, bringing a Gentile into the inner courts. And so he starts backing up his story with, hey, I, I, was, I, was, I was a Jew just like you, and I studied under the finest rabbi of the day. He's building a bridge. He wants them to know he's not desecrating the temple. So he claims to have this intensely Jewish background. But another thing that Paul points out in sharing about his intensely religious, uh, his educational experience background is he reveals something. If he studied under the, this prestigious Gamaliel, he would have been intensely aware of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures, right? I mean, he would know the Hebrew Scriptures back and forward. Most Pharisees would, would know the Scriptures back and forward, but especially Paul, right? One of the Scriptures that Paul would have been acutely aware of is God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And look at this. God says, and all people, not just Hebrew people, but all people on earth will be blessed through you. It's what God says to Abraham. Now, why is this important? Well, that becomes the foundation of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, doesn't it? You recognize Gentiles. They're all people that God is speaking to here. And then if you look at the book of Galatians, you see in what Paul writes, how important this covenant that God made with Abraham was to his outreach to non-Jews. Look at a couple of scriptures. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. One chapter before in Galatians Uh, Chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So God is blessing all people through Abraham, through his seed, Jesus Christ. So Paul shares his educational experiences in his defense for his outreach to the Gentiles. What about successful experiences? I think Paul points to some of the successful experiences um, that he had, at least as he was studying under Gamaliel. You don't understand, you don't, you don't study under the, 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 the most revered Jewish rabbi of the day by being a slacker in school, right? You had to be a very successful student. Gamaliel likely, you know, once Paul went up to him and said, can I be one of your students? He said, well, let's tell me about how successful of a student you are. So there's some successful experiences in Paul's background. Um, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, commented, I, I'm, my background, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
You know, God builds on successes, and we see this in the scriptures. You know, one of the one of my favorite characters in the Bible is is Barnabas, um, who was a companion of Paul, right? And Barnabas Barnabas's name means son of encouragement, and uh, that's pointed out earlier in Acts. And I was thinking, why mention that his name meant son of encouragement unless he was known as that, unless that name became like a nickname for Barnabas. I think it was a nickname of, of his, being a son and of encouragement, being a great encourager. When, um, when Paul had this conversion experience, he was going to go meet with the apostles. And at first they were afraid of Paul because he was condoning to the killing of Christians. Well, we're a little afraid of you, Paul. And they rejected him. And the book of Acts says that Barnabas went up to Paul. And I bet you he, he encouraged him. He, he, he encouraged him and said, let me, let me help build this bridge between you and the apostles, Paul. You're going to be okay. And he, he brought him back to the apostles. And, and what I see in Barnabas' life is this, this um, pattern of successes, of encouraging others. And God will, will take a success and help you grow in that area. And he became known as the, the son of encouragement. So successful experiences help us identify our strengths and where God's hand is at work in our life. All right, next kind of experiences. How about failure experiences? Paul talks about that in his, his, his testimony of himself, of his life. Paul came to know he was not saved by his religious past, but his faith in Christ. His religious past led him to condone and approve of murder. I can't think of a more humbling experience of failure than recognizing how my actions have been so disastrous. Don't you think that Paul's acknowledgement of his failure made him even more aware of God's grace that he would then proclaim to the Gentiles? God, God's love, his grace transcends our past, transcends our past. Another figure that I thought of um, as experiencing failure and how God used that experience in ministry was Peter. And Peter denied that he knew the Lord three times. Shortly after, why did he do that? To save his skin, right? To avoid suffering. The strength of his faith was tested in that moment, and he failed in that test. After Jesus came back from the grave, he took Peter aside, and what did he do? Three times he asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he gave Peter a calling to take care of his brothers, his fellow fellow Christians. He he reestablished Peter in ministry. Jesus says, your failure is far from the final word. And you might think, God, why would you use someone who is a failure? You know, God builds on our successes. Yes, he does. But he also uses us even in spite and through our failures. Why does he do that? doesn't seem like a great plan, God. I think God would say that he values failure 
that leads to a humble heart much more than he values continued success that leads to a proud heart. So Jesus was creating this humble heart in Peter. And then we see how, how Peter expresses that, that humility later on in his writings. When you look at, the, at, at his first letter in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what Peter writes. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see how, how God uses this failure experience in Peter's life to develop this humility. And now Peter is sharing, sharing to other Christians, be humble, be humble, because God will lift you up. So there are failure experiences and maybe another category of experiences that we see as Paul gives this testimony about his ministry to the Gentiles is painful experiences. God uses our pain and suffering to bring about his purposes for us. And it, it's kind of hard for us in Western culture to identify that because we despise suffering in, the West, in our Western culture. We, we, we avoid it. Contrary to that, the letter of James regards troubles as gain. (laughs) J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase of James, this is how he puts the very beginning of, of the book of James. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resist them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Why welcome them as friends? Why welcome trials and temptations as friends, because God is going to use those things to bring about great gain in our life. And indeed, Paul was going to see suffering in order to carry out God's plan for him. He was beaten by that crowd there that he was testifying to. But he also shares that experience of being blinded by the light when he, when he came to know Jesus Christ, being blinded. And Christ sent this man Ananias to Paul to restore his sight. Ananias was a little worried about going and helping Paul at that time. And this is what the Lord tells Ananias. This is earlier in Acts, Acts chapter 9. Christ tells Ananias, Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer. For my name. So God knows without struggle, we don't grow. Paul tells the Jews of him being blinded, and without that experience, I'm not sure Paul would have recognized what, a, what an idol he had made out of his Jewish heritage, right? So painful experiences bring growth in our life. So as, as we start thinking about our own experiences and how God is using those to shape us, to, to move us in ministry, I want us to think about three, three things. One, look at your life through the lens of God's purposes. See, so often we have a different finish line than God has for us. 
And we will often view our life through the lens of our finish line. And we will evaluate our experiences in line of us making whatever finish line we have set for us. We will grade ourselves. How am I doing in getting to this finish line that I have set for myself sometime off in my future? And God probably has a different finish line in mind for us than we do. And I don't know what your finish line looks like, the one that you have in your mind for yourself. I don't want to even kind of guess what it looks like. I know my finish line, the one that I would craft for myself, create for myself, looks pretty safe. If I were to think of my finish line, you know, 20, 30 years from now, what does that finish line look like for me? Well, it looks pretty safe. looks like, you know, being in pretty good health so I can, you know, go on walks and stuff like that, enjoy being outside. My finish line looks like I got a few kids and grandkids around nearby, right? Some of them may have moved off, but I want some of them nearby. What does my finish line look like? You know, the house is kind of, it's paid for. That's my finish line. It's pretty safe, right? Now, is that asking too much of God? That safe finish line? Come on, it's not asking too much, right? I think God says it's not asking enough. <laughs> you're not asking me enough for your finish line. If that's all you're worried about, keeping safe. So I don't know what your finish line looks like, if it looks similar to mine. God's finish line is expressed in who we are becoming much more than where we're living or what we're doing. It's who we're becoming. So let's go back to Romans 8.28 that says that God works all things for the good of those who love him, that really well-known and appreciated verse. Verse 29 goes on to tell about God's purpose. Verse 29 says, For those God foreknew who he also, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's purpose. It's who we become. It, that's God's finish line. Who we become. That we're becoming more like Jesus. And when your character is like Jesus, then that mission that God has for you, just like he sent Paul on a mission to reach the Gentiles, that mission that God as before you, it will become much, much more natural, won't it, when you're more and more like Jesus. Next thought is this, just just a promise that God never wastes a crisis. Because you may be thinking through your life experiences, they've been difficult, they've been challenging. There's never a time that God is not at work in our life experiences. I think that's what is at the heart of Psalm 121. Uh, Psalm 121 starts, um, I lifted my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And this is this great little promise in verse 4. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither, neither slumber nor sleep. So God's always watching. I was thinking about that verse. And I was thinking, you know what that doesn't mean? That's not just saying that God, yeah, he sees you going through a hard time and says, wow, are you okay? I mean, that looked pretty bad. I mean, this is more than just a promise that God sees us, right? It's that God is with us, that God is using our experiences to do something wonderful in our life, something that will build us up, make us like Jesus. So God never wastes a crisis. 
And finally, another thought is, is how has your life experiences or how have your life experiences shaped your heart? Because God uses what we go through to, to leave an imprint on our heart, right? That is in line with a mission that God has for you. How has God been imprinting on your heart through your experiences? Small story from my background. Um, seemingly insignificant story, but it's really had some profound effects on maybe a mission that God has given to me. And my pack of friends in high school, and we did a lot of things together. And people would come and go in this pack of friends, but we, we kind of would move as a group. One day, uh, I overheard some of my friends planning on seeing the movie Field of Dreams, I'm kind of dating myself, right? Field of Dreams was out in the theater. And I overhear them planning, hey, let's go see Field of Dreams. I'm thinking, well, that sounds kind of good. I wasn't going to invite myself to go see the movie with them. I just overheard them talking about it. I wasn't going to wait for them to come and invite me, right? Well, that invitation never happened. I just totally got left out. Can you believe that? Left out of going to see the movie. Ever since that day, I've been passionately against Kevin Costner movies. Never saw another one of them. No, no, no. No, God, God used that experience to put a little imprint on my heart. Feeling left out in the moment. I've been passionately against people feeling excluded. It was just one of those moments, but something kind of profound in my life where God said, Greg, I want you to reach out to those who are on the, the fringes that are, that are likely to be excluded. Reach out to them. Help them to feel like they belong and, and included. So what in your life, what experience in your life has God used to put that little imprint on your heart? So this week, I want you to think about your life experiences. And I want you to write down all these experiences that you can think of, your, your cultural experiences, where are you from, what has God put in your life to help you have build bridges between other people that you're in contact with? What are some commonalities? What are those educational experiences? What have you learned that you might be able to use as you reach out to others? Um, what else did we talk about? Successful experiences. What are, some, what are some things in your life where you felt, yeah, I feel like God's hand is in my work. Uh, God's hand is at work here in my life, and I can, can continue doing this and reaching out to others. Where are the failure experiences where maybe you let yourself down or someone else down or you felt like you let, you let God down? Know that God develops a humble heart through our failure experiences so he can, can use us further in greater ways. And then those difficult, painful experiences where God may be imprinting something on your heart. Just, just list those out this week. And I found it really helpful to share those experiences, as many as you can. You know, sometimes you don't want to share really personal, painful things. I would encourage you to think about sharing that with someone this week. 
If, if there's something you want to keep just to yourself, that's all right. But why don't you just practice sharing some of your story, just like Paul shared. It'll help you think through, God, what's your mission for me right now? Who do you want me to reach out to and help come to know the love of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you're always at work in our life, that you have a bigger end goal for us than we would imagine for ourselves. Your end goal is your kingdom. Your end goal is is using us to bring people into your kingdom. Your end goal is fellowship with us. celebrating life together with us. We pray that you would help us to think through our life, take stock of how you've been active and moving, and that you would use our experiences to help us to be like Jesus so that we could be powerful and humble and loving in our outreach to others. Lord, we trust your presence. We trust your heart, your love for us. Build us up, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.